have to fix the message now, but it's all good. Because I thought then we we're going to sing songs and do a Bible reading. Dave asked for the passage, so I thought we were going to do that. Shows you how long it's been since I've been here. <coughs> Praise God. And so glad to be here. And um, I won't get into that, otherwise I might get emotional. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, you have your Bibles this morning. <coughs> Many of us know, if we've uh, been to church before, or quite a lot, that um, Matthew chapter 5 is full of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, it starts off with uh, his uh, sermon. It, it's all called the Sermon on the Mount. It starts off with the Beatitudes there. And there would have been a lot of people around at this time coming to hear what Jesus had to say. This is, what, this is very early on in his ministry. And uh, around this time in history, there were a lot of people who were claiming to be the Messiah, someone who would free the Jewish people from their, uh, the, the, the Romans and uh, the oppression that they were under. And so many people were coming out to hear what Jesus had to say. And Jesus begins in this chapter, after the Beatitude, to correct a lot of long-held thoughts and beliefs that were held by the Jews and mankind in general. Most of the people were probably wondering what he was going to say this day and to hear some of the things that he was presenting to them it probably would have shocked most of the people. And I wonder what kind of stir would have, would have been heard even when Jesus uh, spoke the words in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, that, that they should love their enemies. We read from verse 43. Ye have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And uh, this is the last, but I say unto you. And uh, there are five of them up to this, uh, in this chapter where Jesus Christ turns on its head the thoughts of mankind, the thoughts that many of the Jews held, and he was primarily speaking to the Jewish people. You know, the Jews had been under Gentile control for over 400 years. They had been under uh, the occupation of different empires. They'd had a small... Uh, independence, you might call it, under the Maccabeans. But then, just most recently, they had been under the Roman rule for 80 years, around 80 years, at this point in Jesus Christ's ministry. And the Romans were a very cruel and very uh, tight and harsh ruling um, empire. And they saw the Jews as very rebellious people, people who were always and always ready to revolt against their rule. 
And so they, there was a lot of tension between the Romans and the Jews. And into this deeply proud people's mind, the Lord casts this command, which repeals their long-held view that they should hate their enemies. That's what they thought. That was what they naturally thought that they should do, was to love their neighbours and to hate their enemies. And before we go any further, we're going to pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this command that he has given to us. And Lord, and I pray that you would... Uh, Open our eyes to the truth of your word this morning, and Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, there are many different people here from different backgrounds, and Lord, I pray that you would just uh, unite us, Lord, to understand your word and to understand what your Holy Spirit has for us to learn this morning from your word. And I pray that you would uh, enable me to speak and give me the words to speak, Lord, the thoughts and clarity, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in this message to give to the people what they need to hear. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to study this command and why Christ gave it. And we're going to study this command over three points. And the first point is what man thinks. What man thinks? Verse 43, Christ tells them again what man thinks. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. The natural man would believe that if he was to love his friends, that he would automatically hate his enemy. And we have a tendency to hate anyone who is against us, who is our enemy. That's our sinful nature. That is our old nature. If we love our friends and our neighbours, that we should therefore hate our enemies. And this can be a problem in the Christian's life if we revert to hating those who we would think of as our enemies. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 19, where God first gave them this command, but not to hate their enemies. Leviticus 19 is the first instance that this command that they should love their neighbor. Leviticus 19 Verse 17 and 18. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and shall not, and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now at no point here does the Lord say that we should hate our enemies. In fact, he says the opposite. In verse 17, that thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. And uh, back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has already addressed 
the problem and sin of the heart where he said that, uh, you know, you have heard that you shalt not commit adultery, but I say that thou shalt not lust after a woman thine own heart. And that is sin of the heart. So, in fact, the only thing here, the only half, was that they should love their neighbor. In verse 19, uh, sorry, in verse 18, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And they took this half of the command and thought that naturally that they should love their neighbor, they should love uh, the others around them, but they should hate their enemy. Turn to Luke chapter 10, New Testament. Luke is the third gospel. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Here... A uh, lawyer asks Christ who his neighbor is. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. And a lawyer, we must understand, is not a lawyer like today. This was someone who was well versed in the law of Moses, someone who knew God's law. And he stood up. And asked and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said, as Jesus said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? We know that, and what follows this is the parable of a good Samaritan. And then I read a commentator that if, if he had have said to him at the out, outset of this parable that a Samaritan came along and helped a man at the side of the road who was beaten and robbed by thieves, that everyone would have been taken aback. That Jesus was here giving a, an example of who their neighbor would be. But the way that Jesus structured this parable is that he brought them to the only conclusion was that the Samaritan was the only person who had been a neighbor to that person who had been robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus cleared all that prejudice that they had. And when he asked the man, now which of them, of these three, think that he is the neighbor to, unto him that fell amongst the thieves, the man could say nothing other than uh, the one who, uh, the one who, who had mercy upon him. Jesus says in verse 36, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You know, that that's how deep this prejudice was. The man couldn't even say that it was the Samaritan. He had to say him that showed mercy upon him. 
they hated the Samaritans. Even though they were their neighbours, they hated them. They were prejudiced against the Samaritans. They only now loved their brother, not their neighbour. They only loved those who were of the household of Israel, as it were. They had even come back further than what God had originally commanded them to do, and that was to love their neighbour. Now they only loved their brother. And we can too, we can as well become prejudiced like this and only love those who are close to us instead of loving our neighbour. And our neighbour is anyone who we come in contact with. Our neighbour is anyone that we have business with. It is, in essence, all of mankind because we could potentially come in contact with anyone and we are to love our neighbour as ourselves. You know, we become prejudiced because of who they are or what they've done. The, the Jews were so deeply prejudiced against the Samaritans because of who they were. They were a mixed race. They weren't Jews. They were a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And what they'd done, the, the Jews hated them because they created their own religion and they worshipped in another place. And they worshipped, as it were, another God. They didn't believe to be the God that they they believed in. You know, man only thinks of himself. The natural man only thinks of himself. And therefore, he only enjoins himself with those who are like-minded, those who he can agree with. And this is self-centered living. This is living for self. And he comes to the extreme conclusion that if you are not with me, then you are my enemy. You're against me. And we must avoid this trap. This trap of extreme. We must avoid retaliation. Must avoid getting back at people because they got back at me. That's the natural tendency of man and, and Christ has just uh, addressed this in Matthew chapter 5 leading up to verse 43. We read, I'm sorry I've just shot back to Matthew chapter 5 but if you can have your finger there, Matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 38, you have heard that it has been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. We know that this is referring to the Roman soldier who had the right to say to anyone, carry my pack which was a very large pack, and go with me a mile. And the soldier can walk free of his burden and this person would carry that burden. And obviously, with that tension between the Jews and the Romans, I'm sure that the Romans would have done this to the Jews a lot. And Christ here says, 
he doesn't say, don't do it. He says, go with them twice, twain, or to double the length. Can you imagine what the Roman soldiers' reaction would have been if they would have been, no, no, I'll go another mile with you. This was the opposite, the opposite of eye for an eye, the retaliation. If they get me, I'll get back at them. And this is the natural tendency of man. Give to him, verse 42, that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You might have something against them, and you don't want to give them. You, won't do, you don't want to give them something good, because they've done something bad to you. So this is what man thinks. And then we see our second point is what Christ commands. What Christ commands. In verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is so foreign to our simple nature our old man. This is so foreign to who we are as natural sinners. And this was an incredible statement early in his ministry. Jesus gives an impressive clarification too here of what he means by love your enemies. God never intended us to hate anyone, let alone our enemies. We are all his creation. Now, we are to hate the sin. We should hate that. And I have had been confronted by uh, one, one man who says that, uh, David says in, in Psalm 139, I hate them with a perfect hatred. I hate them that hate thee. And, uh, you know, there is hating what they do, but not hating them. But more important than that aspect of it, we are to love our enemies. That's what Christ is putting his finger on here, to love our enemies. And Christ's command is simple yet profound because it is so different, so opposite of what man thinks. Bless them that curse you is the first clarification of how you are to love your enemies. And turn, turn with me to James chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. And I believe that this Christ here, by saying, bless them that curse you, he is addressing the words that we speak. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and beginning at verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. James chapter 3 verse 8 verse 9 says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter can the fig tree my brethren bear olive berries 
either of fine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. How is it that we can bless and curse with the same mouth? Our tongue is an unruly evil. And, and in saying, bless them that curse you, Jesus Christ is addressing the issue of the tongue, addressing the issue of the tongue in this battle for love your enemies. They may say bad things about us, but we ought never to retaliate and say bad things back about them. In a, instead, in the place of that, we are to bless them that curse us. They may not curse us directly. In fact, those who would be our enemies are not our enemies because we make them our enemies. And we need to understand that, that they are our enemies because they are against Christ. They are against God. And because they are against God, they are against us. And therefore, they make themselves our enemies. We are not to make enemies. In fact, by loving our enemies, we will eventually, by God's will, make them our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. By blessing them, we're catching them off guard. We are loving our enemies by blessing them that curse us. And that's talking about our speech. How often have we said some side remark about someone? And the, and the Lord encourages in Titus chapter 3, verse 2, that we should speak evil of no man. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, bless them that curse you. We may have thought to say bad things about homosexuals, Mormons, Muslims, other people who we consider to be enemies of the cross of Christ or enemies in our minds and we say something nasty, maybe not to them directly but about them to someone else and instead of blessing them though we may think that it is hard to do we can do it by God's Spirit's help we curse them instead of blessing them we, we, we say bad things about them and that is what Jesus Christ is addressing, that a believer, a follower of Christ, should be someone who blesses those that curse us. And second part of this clarification is that we should do good to them that hate you. Do good to them that hate you. I believe that Christ is addressing the attitudes that are had towards us and the actions that we should do to them. Romans chapter 12. I'll say that again. I believe that Christ is addressing the attitudes that are had towards us 
and the actions that we are to have toward them. Romans chapter 12. We're beginning here from verse 17. I believe that this is, in its, in its essence, uh, and as a principle, this is Paul's version of love your enemies. Well, Paul's clarification is taking opportunity of a poor situation to do good to them who we would consider to be our enemies. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And it comes to verse 20 and 21. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see here that the, the enemy is not doing something to the Christian. They're hungry. They're not doing something to the Christians, they're thirsty. It's an opportunity to do good to someone who's an enemy. And instead of just letting them be hungry and by so doing being evil as it were to them, we are to do good. We are to give them food. We are to give them drink. And in so doing, heap coals of fire on their head. And you know, as a young and I thought, oh, this is awesome. Get back at them. And uh, that's not what it's about. And I think I may have explained this before. Um, and as my dad would teach that in those days, if your fire had gone out, you needed coals, you would go to your neighbor and ask them for coals, and they, they would place it on a, 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 either a, a block of wood or a plate, and you would carry that back on your head. Carry it back onto your house, on your head. And so doing, they have done good. You've done good to your neighbor. Because if it was the opposite, if you were doing evil, then Paul just con contradicted himself. And, and he would con contradict himself in verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If we get back at the enemies, if we want to hurt them because we've hurt, they've hurt us, then evil has overcome us. We have been overcome of evil. But we are to overcome this evil by doing good, by taking those opportunities where we see them in need or that they need help to do good. They've done all of these bad things. They have all these attitudes. They are against us. They believe us to be hateful people. They do. They think that 
because we believe differently to what they believe, that we hate them. And unfortunately, for the Christians, so often, Christians do hate them. Instead of loving them as Christ has taught us to. And they are turned away from God because we're not obeying God. They're turned away from Christianity because they think God hates us. Instead of the Christian showing the love of Christ in those opportunities and loving them and doing good to them when they're in need. And Christ goes on to clarify further and says, Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And I believe here the opposite, that Christ is addressing the actions that are done to us and the attitudes that we should have towards them. When they are attacking us, this despitefully use use is the idea of violent hatred. be looked down upon i can imagine in in a, in a physical sense that the roman soldiers would often buffet the jews that that we should once again not retaliate but we should have an attitude of prayer pray and we we we, we not necessarily call it an attitude it is an action, but it's a passive action. It's not one of, like, I'm going to pray for you now. That, that we audibly tell them, but rather an attitude that we have towards them when they are attacking us. When they are trying to hurt us. That we pray for them. And... We are praying for them, not only who that despitefully use us, but that persecute us. And brethren, the day is coming, is not far off, where I believe that the persecution will become very real. And this will be a very important attitude for us to have, is that of prayer. That we should pray for them. Not to react, not to get back. A third point is why Christ commands this. Why Christ commands this. And he goes on to explain why in the following verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 to 48. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye you salute your brethren only, what do, more, do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We are to be different. Why Christ commanded this? 
We are to be different. We are to be like God, our Heavenly Father. I'm going to break this down into two halves that we are to be like our Heavenly Father. God loves us all. And here he, he gives the, the illustration that he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Yesterday we were at a wedding and I should have realized, you know, the, the should-haves of life that I, the, the forecast was for rain, but we only had one small little umbrella and there's five of us now. I should have got another umbrella or some ponchos or something. And it rained. And I was being a stinking Christian and had a stinking attitude about it. Wrongly, of course. Because, you know, this is a lovely Christian couple. And I had the bad idea, why didn't they do it in a church? You know, these Christians these days going and having the marriages outside. <laughs> okay. But... God sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. There were probably a lot of people praising God for the rain because we need it. We need it more further, a little bit further south that way. But anyway, God sends his rain, his son on the just and on the unjust. He loves us all without prejudice, without bias. He loves us all. We are his creation. And therefore, we are to do the same. And in the same manner that God has a special love for us, his children, we will have a special love for other believers. But this does not detract from the fact that we should still have a love for all, for all mankind the just and the unjust. Just as God blesses the just and the unjust, just as God gave the opportunity of the last plague in Egypt that any man could have put the blood on the doorposts and been saved from that Passover, that, that, that angel, the death angel. God had made it possible that anyone could be saved. And that goes along with his message of salvation, that it is for all mankind. It's not just for a select group of people that God chooses to love. We are to, to love our enemies because we are to be like our Heavenly Father. And it's twofold. And the second half is that we are to love our enemies because we're not to be like the world. We're not to be like the world. For if you love them which love you, verse 46, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Now, if there was someone that the Jews hated probably more than the Romans, it was the publicans. These were tax collectors and mostly Jews. Not only had they turned against, as it were, or joined the side of the enemy, now they were taking money from their own brothers and pocketing extra on the side. And when Jesus says, if you love those that love you, then not, uh, 
you're just the same as the publicans. You're no different from anyone else. Everybody else loves them who love them. We are self-centered people. We like people to like us. And we'll like them in return. But if he was saying it today, he could almost say, as it were, if you love them that love you, you'll know different. Don't the homosexuals do the same? Would we be likened to them or some other group? Not picking on one particular group. Just giving an illustration. And we must understand that we are not to be like the world. That's the reason why Christ gave this command. Man has the golden rule back to front. They think that, you know, if someone does good to me, I'll do something good back to them. But that's, and they call it karma and they call it all these other different things that they like to call it. But they have it wrong. They have it the wrong way around. When Jesus Christ said it, he said, Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. It's not a reactive command. It's not a, uh, if they do good to you, you should do good back to them. It's a proactive command. You should be kind to others. You should be loving to others. And they will be loving to you. If you want them to be loving to you. If you want them to be kind to you. You should be a friend to others if you want to have friends. If you want to keep friends, you should still be friendly to your friends. Man has it round the wrong way. And Christ gives this command here. And we have a mystery fourth point. How Christ fulfilled this command. If Christ was to say this great command of love your enemies and then not prove it himself by living it. He would have been the greatest liar and hypocrite. The fact is that he did fulfill it. He did fulfill his own command and it cost him everything. To say that Jesus had no enemies, you have to be kidding yourself. His enemies grew exponentially throughout his ministry. From hardened religious leaders to the fickle, fickle fanatics who were shouting Hosanna one day and crucify him the next. Jesus had many enemies. The vast majority turns against Jesus Christ on one day. And Christ was about to prove how to love your enemies. He was falsely accused. Yet he did not answer back. He was unjustly tried. Yet he did not cry out against it. 
hated. He was spat upon and beaten. His flesh was ripped to shreds. He was mocked and jeered. He did not retaliate back. He hardly said anything. In Isaiah, it talks about him being as a lamb to the slaughter, one that does not make a noise. And the only things he did say were those of blessing. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it is finished. And the other sayings that he said, but never against them. And yet he did not take an opportunity here to use his supernatural power to come down or to get back at his enemies. Who he, We could always say that he would have been justified to do so because he was wronged. He was willingly suffering reproach. And he willingly took our sin and, his, and our punishment upon himself and he died for us because he loved his enemies. We are all his enemies. We are all against him. Before salvation, we are all against him. And even in James 4, he that is, makes a friendship with the world is at enmity with God. We, be, can, we, can, we can become enemies of God even if we're Christians. If we become friends of the world, we're making ourselves enemies of God. And yet he loves us. And the thing about this Christian that he died for you, even though he knew that you would trust him, and then after salvation sin against him. He didn't think, oh, that person, he's going to trust me and then he's going to trample all over what I've done and go his own way after salvation. I don't think I'll die for him. But he didn't do that. He died for us all. And his forgiveness is for us all. He loved us, his enemies. He proved his words, his message by ultimately loving his enemies. And we must see the importance of this command. And not just see it as some words that Jesus said. For these particular people. It's for us all. And, and we may think of some people as our enemy. But we need to think of what Christ has commanded here and change that. We are to be like our Heavenly Father. We are not to be like the world. Jesus Christ loved his enemies and gave his life for them, for us all, so that we can be God's children. O sinner, won't you receive him? And O brother, won't you believe him? Believe that what Christ has commanded is not only important for today, but every day. And that we are to live as Christ would want us to live. A life of love 
for our enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully, despitefully use you and persecute you. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you also for the opportunity in this world which have is filled with more and more people who are outwardly more and more making themselves and pronouncing themselves to be enemies of you, Lord, and of Jesus Christ, your Son. And indeed, because of that, of us, your children. Lord, I pray that we would be children of the Heavenly Father, that we'd not be like the world, that we would love our enemies, that we would bless them, we would do good to them, and that we would pray for them. And I pray that this may have stirred our hearts this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, thanks, Tim. We're just going to close with one verse of 316. Stand to sing and then we'll close in prayer and we'll head over to the morning tea. 316, O to be like thee.